Totally Football Show. Man United turnaround has match reporters tearing up their work like Banksy, but will those Mourinho obits with a bit of sticky tape soon come in handy anyway? Will the hammer soon be falling on the man-hunted one, or will the secret pinky signal triumph? Elsewhere, Chelsea join Man City and Liverpool in three teams on top of the Premier League, shocker, while across the rest of Europe, we see Sevilla taking the lead in Spain and wonder what's happening to big names all over the continent. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. And welcome aboard, listener. Uh, here for you today, we have Sasha Gurionov. Good morning. We'll be taking care of all your Anfield needs. Definitely. You, you, you were there at the big game, man. I, I, I was there, and it, it was actually quite interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Michael Cox. Hi, James. You've got lots to tell us about, I imagine. Yeah, always. Always. And Daniel Story. Good, Good morning, James. Good Daniel. We were in uh, the Royal Northern College of Music on Friday night. Salute to anyone who joined us there. Mm. What happened to that jacket you're wearing? What jacket was it? Yes, we all wore blazers from classic football shirts, uh, and mine was a pre-tournament or pre-Euro 96 England jacket, so the one they wore on the tour to Hong Kong, oh, really? the infamous tour to Hong Kong. Right. And in the pocket of it is a just a folded up brown piece of paper I found, and when you unfold that, it has the name Winnie Wang, and then room 110 no. of some... <laughs> of, uh, and then an address... Uh, of, of which I obviously didn't understand, but I did Google it, and it is—it's still standing. It's a block of flats just outside uh, the city centre of Hong Kong. Of Hong Kong. Wow. Uh, so we, we there was also Winnie Wang. Yeah, there's also it's two unopened. Winnie. There were also two unopened painkillers. So I didn't know that was Anderton on that tour, maybe. Or, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to cast aspersions over unopened. anyone. They were unopened. Yeah. Yes. Um, wow, that's extraordinary. I, I I didn't reach into the pockets of mine because it literally had no pockets, Michael. It was the uh, it, it was the Cameroon onesie. So, I saw. Yes. Yeah, nice. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, so now even more exciting than that was uh, the fact that after Sunday's big three games, we've got Sasha three teams on twenty points. The most competitive league in Europe. Right, and and Arsenal and 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 Spurs not far behind, and and to- and Bournemouth as well. Everybody up there, apart from Manchester United. Oh yeah. Then. Well, we'll come on to them shortly. Michael, where do you want to begin well, I with suppose Arsenal, Arsenal's Arsenal. performance, really, because, yeah. you know, there was obviously one big game that I think was something of a disappointment. But uh, Arsenal got the game, uh, sorry, got the day started with a fantastic performance. Their best under Emery by a long way so far. Right. The Gooners at Craven Cottage chanting, we've got our Arsenal back. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that's a reference to, to be honest. I mean, Arsenal did occasionally play very well last season and over the recent seasons. Um, so I, I think that seems a little bit OTT to me. Right, but it was a tr- I mean, there was so much to, for them to enjoy in this performance, perhaps unexpectedly after the long trip they'd had to Azerbaijan and back. A 5-1 victory over the cost. Just their ninth win in a row. They haven't done that in how long? Don't know. Three years. OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of... Proves the point, doesn't it? Things weren't disastrous <laughs> under Wenger. No, but it was excellent. And I mean, uh, it was basically about clinical finishing. Uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang with two each. And then the standout goal was was the one in between Ramsey's goal, which was just... Uh, joy, almost joy. like an exhibition goal. There were so mm. many moments that, you know, Arsenal should have conceded possession because they were such extravagant flicks, but it was just a wonderful goal. And again, a classic kind of Arsenal counter-attacking goal, the kind of goal they have scored so many times over the last 20 years or so. Right. Max Haley asked, after Arsenal's performance, yesterday do you think Ramsey will be a big miss for the team or is it understandable Emery wants to move in a new direction is that goal the performance going to change anything do you think Michael 
No, I think Emery probably does want him at the club, but I think there's some difficulties in terms of negotiation. I mean, I think Ramsey's a really good player and at times for Arsenal has been outstanding. I think 2013-14, before his injury, he was up there with the best midfielders in England, probably him and Yaya Toure that season. He scored two cup final winners. I mean, he's been, over the last five years, he's been pretty good and I think pretty consistent despite the, the criticism. The problem is fitting him in the team. He's quite a specific player. He needs to be making midfield runs into the box. And I think in combination with Ozil, who... You know, has generally been filled as the number 10. It hasn't always worked. Um, so I think he's a good player, just not sure he fits in. And I think you can say that for a couple of other Arsenal players. It's just that Ramsey is the one whose contract, contract is expiring. Yeah, yeah. and if I, I think, we don't know, but I think if Mesut Ozil, if Mesut Ozil hadn't become the agenda last season and got that contract, I think Ramsey would probably stay. But I think it's fair to say you can't keep both. And if you're then spending upwards of, you know, six hundred five between five and £600,000 a week on two on those two players it leaves a lot of less wiggle room in other areas of the pitch, doesn't it? It would be interesting to see whether Emery is influenced by this game in terms of his future team selection because there were some kind of extenuating circumstances. Ozil was out of out of the squad. Right. Aubameyang was only on the bench. Mkhitaryan was probably only starting because he didn't make the midweek trip. So, I mean, is Welbeck going to be a regular? Probably not. You know, there's still a lot of question marks despite the fact that they've won nine in a row. But with a Ramsey like that, with Lacazette and Aubameyang playing so well and clearly enjoying playing together, how seriously do we take Arsenal? How much do we put it down to the quality of the teams they, they face? Think, yeah, we, we certainly do. I think doing anything else would risk making Emery a victim of his early season success. I have been surprised at how well they've played in parts. The greatest thing, and I think the reason that Arsenal fans were probably chanting that, is that there are players now who look to be pushing nearer their, their potential. You look at Bellerino, I think, has improved this season. Lacazette's improved this season. Alex Iwobi looks a different player than he was, I think, through most of last season. And they've, they've, they're scoring goals away from home. They've already scored 60% of their away goals from last season. I, I think those, those match-travelling away fans are the Arsenal fans who, for all the fan TV noise, they're the Arsenal fans who felt most aggrieved about, about what was going on at Arsenal because the away performances were terrible for most of last season. And yeah, I, I still think, don't think they'll finish in the top four because they've lost the two teams that are better than them. But as I think we said last week, they weren't winning games against teams that were worse than them last season, so that it, this is in itself an improvement. They won't finish in the top four, though? I don't think so, but I don't think that has to be a, a hugely disappointing thing for Emery. I think sometimes after a dynasty manager, teams fall off, and it looks at the moment like that won't happen. Michael? I'd probably still go for Spurs ahead of them for the top four, but the last couple of weeks, Spurs have, have looked quite bad, really, and Arsenal are looking increasingly strong, so let's wait and see. Yeah. I'd, I'd go for, probably for Arsenal fourth at the moment, because I sense little bit of stagnation I suppose despite the fact they're winning all these games despite not playing particularly well you know they're picking up these injuries now Ali is out injured I think it was Fertonkin was out injured and you, can, you get the sense that they can't really um, can't really afford to have them I think the one caveat every week I sound like I'm not giving Arsenal due praise so apologies but Fulham are so open I don't mm. think there's another team that Arsenal will be more suited to playing against and also with the system Fulham switched to three at the back for the first time this season that didn't work there was so much space behind uh, Christie the right wing back who just didn't look like he had the the pace or mobility to play there surprisingly or just any idea yeah it was very odd and then after half time I think Fulham maybe pushed forward in search of getting back into the game a little bit too easily and left space at the back but I think you know you have to start asking questions of Jukanovic. I don't think he's going to be dismissed because I think there's a lot of faith in him there. They want to be playing that kind of football. But when you're conceding more than two goals a game mm. and it's such a kind of clear organisational problem, you really have to look at you know the strategy of the manager. It is the second international break of the season, which is traditionally sacking time. 
Yeah, it's been a strange Premier League season in that regard. In that, that you know, there are five teams toward the top that are very close on points, and then the bottom half feels as if they can be brushed aside very, very easily. And for clubs in that area, it means that clubs like Newcastle maybe don't. They maybe they're a bad example, but clubs don't need to panic because they're actually only a win away from suddenly being level with four right. other teams. But but in the same way, there's a mush of teams now that you could say any one, any, any three of these could be in trouble at the end of the season. Yeah. But, but also, if you look at Fulham, I mean, the, the problems at the back are so obvious. I mean, the goals that were being scored yesterday, I don't really think you could put any of them on Bettinelli, which mm. I think is... So then if you look at the system, it just looks pretty porous. I don't know. I think Jokanovic this season comes across as someone who's come up into the Premier League with a point to prove, especially after what happened at Watford. And there seems to be a lot of nervous energy about him. And I wonder if he needs to just sit down in a room maybe for a week and just think about how this team should be set up. They He's got had, the opportunity, of course. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> they had the second worst defence in the Championship top eight last season. So, I mean, this is no huge surprise. And, I mean, to my mind, they... they they got captivated by big names in the in the attacking half. They did buy defenders, but the defenders they bought are nowhere near as good as the attackers they bought, which, given that their attack was the strongest part anyway last season, just seems a bit naive, really. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. What about Saints? How much trouble are they in then after their 3-0 beating at home to Chelsea? They are a very, very bad football team at the moment. Mark Hughes has taken 22 points from his last 30 games as a Premier League manager and managed to get a promotion in the middle of that, which is... So if you have got an interview coming up this week, get on the phone to Hughesy for some advice because he must interview well. A prom- I'm sorry, a promotion, you mean to being permanent manager? Yeah, well, no, from Stoke to... South- oh, I see, stacked right, by, yeah. Stacked yeah. by Stoke and gets a Southampton job, which mm. to my mind is a promotion. Mm. Um yeah, they're wretched. Uh, they don't they don't have any identity, which is exactly what we said about Stoke under Hughes. Um, they don't seem to be able to lay a glove or make things difficult for the big teams, and they're struggling against the teams around them. And Southampton's problem for the last two years has been woeful shooting, inefficient shooting. They had the lowest, or the 19th, I think, the, they ranked 19th for shooting accuracy or, and conversion last season, and they've got worse. Uh, Ings missed a glorious chance, Bertrand missed a glorious chance, and they're not creative enough to account for that. So they're just getting brushed aside. Mm. But at the same time, I would say that Ings is a massive improvement on what they had last season. Um, So I think the guy hasn't played for a number of years. So Mm. once I think he gets into the groove, maybe he'll start putting those chances away. And yet, I think he has already has three, four goals this season. Chelsea in imperious form here. 3-0 their victory. A 31-pass move uh, for the third goal, courtesy of Alvaro Morata. And the rebirth of rebirth of Ross Barkley behind the the other two, Michael. Yeah, that's nice to see. Good to see him playing well after quite interesting comments, I think, in midweek about how he's been coached more at Chelsea and he felt slightly overlooked at Everton once he'd made the first team because that does seem to add up. You know, it, it does sound a little bit like he's making excuses, but when you look at how he played at Everton, from the first moment he came into the team, he looked really, really confident in possession and he did just stagnate for a few years. And now already he looks brighter, He's got his head up. He's playing good passes. I thought his contribution for the opening goal was excellent with winning the ball and slipping in Hazard. The second goal was a bit of a tap-in, but he got into the right position. So, yeah, that's interesting. And, and they do have options in midfield, Chelsea. I mean, they've we've talked about how they don't really have uh, goal-scoring potential from there. So that's uh, a kind of role that I think Barkley should fulfil. He hasn't scored that many in his career, but I think he's got the kind of drive and mentality to maybe become that kind of player. I absolutely agree. I think that... Mark was spot on about what I said in midweek. When Barkley came into that Everton team, he got l- lumbered with this new Gascoigne um, tag. And that wasn't just about England, we want a really good central midfielder for England. Actually, the, 
Gascoigne's majesty was that he was uncoachable, basically. It was all natural talent. It was all instinct. I think the fact that everyone called Ross Barkley that maybe meant Everton thought, well, we don't really need to coach him. He's got bags of talent. So, But actually, what he needs is nurturing and what he needs is channeling. And that does seem to have happened over the summer at Chelsea. And in addition to that, I think from Everton fans' point of view, there was a lot of pressure on him from them because he was this talent so things are going wrong or it's his fault or he's not trying hard enough even though he's probably the best player and as you said maybe in need of some coaching but um, I saw Barkley earlier in the season against Arsenal which I think was was his second game and he started to play the first 60 minutes and I thought already then that he looked you know he looked the part mm-hmm. and when I look at Barkley and the way he plays football I think he's sort of quite direct quite determined sort of um, I look at him and I, I see a very scouse player there because uh, he's got sort of that grit and the, the guts that that you need. So I think perhaps with the right coaching, if he can be channeled, channeled in the right way, he can he can be a success there at uh, Chelsea. I think what's also interesting with Chelsea for me is I wonder if um, Sarri st- studied ancient history because they um, the way they attack through one flank, it's very uh-huh. oblique order. It's very Alexander the Great. It's very much Friedrich the Great, you know, the Prussian general, because the idea is to overload one flank whilst holding the rest. Uh, and to turn the defences, and this is exactly what they're doing at the moment. I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether anyone else has made this parallels, but you know that's what I see when I look at Chelsea. Did Alexander the Great ever win at Southampton? Though? I didn't see to the end of match the day, but you know, <laughs> quite possibly came up. Um, Chelsea, yeah, looking imperious as Alexander. Um, Pep gazed before him and he wept, for he saw there were no more worlds to conquer except for Anfield, which remains inviolate. As regards uh, Man City, Sash, you were there, and it's crazy how you know to what length City would go not to win at Anfield. Um, I mean, last time they won there was in two thousand and three. Uh, Nikola Anelka scored a last-minute penalty, which prevented Liverpool from getting the Champions League that season, effectively. And yesterday, what we saw, I thought, was quite incredible. Um, I think Raphael Honigstein uh, wrote before the game how Pep has adapted his tactics towards club before in the Bundesliga, um, and it was. You look at the lineup yesterday and you thought, aha, Trent Alexander isn't playing, so you got Gomez in, so maybe more defensively. Then you saw there was no Sane, and you're thinking, what on earth is going on here? Are they trying to second guess each other? What are we going to end up with? And Liverpool started quite badly the first 10, but once they didn't get anything out of it, two teams were just completely happy to, to sit there, and I think they could have you know, probably shaken on the draw there and then. What was the, what was the mood among supporters? Were they disappointed at the lack of thrills or delighted to have survived? I think before the game, there was a little bit of apprehension because Liverpool have been wobbly recently. I mean, the performance at Napoli was absolutely terrible. And um, as Klopp said after the game, you know, if you're trying to bounce back from such a performance, you don't really want to do it against City. So I think from Liverpool's point of view, they were quite happy also to put in a competent performance. And... I think by the end of the game, there was recognition from supporters, despite the frustration of what not, not being a great game, mm. um, that A, it's almost like you grabbed the, grabbed the draw because of Maris's missed penalty. But also, if you th- I th- I'd like to think of the game as a strategic draw because both managers um, would want to remain at the top of the table. Klopp um, said that now I can moan about you know, this crazy run of games I've had. And you know, it's five and a half difficult games there out of seven uh, in the space of just over three weeks. Um, and, you know... At the start of the season, if you would have said to Liverpool 20 points after eight games, especially after that run of games, uh, everyone would have completely happily taken it. And a very important point as well, getting into this game and getting out of this game, if you want to challenge for the title, you want to stay in touch with Manchester City. And that's what Liverpool have done. Excellent. That penalty, Michael, blazed over the crossbar. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, everyone always says this whenever there's a penalty over the crossbar, but I'm never sure they're that much further than 
a couple of feet over the crossbar. They just continue their ele- elevation. Right. So they look ludicrous like two seconds afterwards. But mm-hmm. I honestly don't know how far it was away because we never get the right camera angle. I mean, the interesting thing is that Guardiola said he wasn't aware of Mahrez's poor penalty stats, which right. are quite incredible considering they're so easily accessible. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Sky Sports viewers, we have them up on the screen there. So they're not hard to kind of, you know, gather together. And maybe the interesting thing about Mahrez's last three misses now... Um, and that he's missed in three different ways. Okay. So one was saved, one was off target, and one was a double touch uh, uh-huh. when he slipped. So that must be a quite a quite unique treble. It was it was a curious moment, wasn't it, when he basically took possession of the ball, apparently on the instructions of Pep from the sidelines, and then they put up the graphic showing how many times he'd missed. And I, I think at that point we all knew exactly which way uh, this this was heading. Um, but I think Jesus who wanted the penalty and missed two of his last three. Yeah. So it wasn't as if there was, you know... I mean, I, I thought Mahrez was City's brightest player in that game. I, I didn't think City had many opportunities. Certainly their brightest attacking player, actually. Bernardo Silva was very good. But of the front three, he was the one who was running in behind and making things happen. And I wonder whether, you know, he almost just felt, you know... I've, he deserves it. Yeah, I've done most to get us into this game and I'm going to, you know, put the icing on the... It, on the it was such a difficult game for attackers uh, because both teams defended so diligently and they were taking no risks at all and Klopp said after the game you know you need space for high rhythm there was no space because now the team now the team was giving it to the other side and at the same time Guardiola showed that he learned from the scars of last season mm. that uh, he basically said you know if you want to play an open game you have less than 1% chance of winning anyway it's all very exciting that it leaves three teams on 20 points I mean that's, a, that's a, as you say it's the tightest title race anywhere yeah and it leaves Tottenham and Arsenal only two points behind that right. so yeah it feels to me, it feels still as if it's going to be those top three for the title and the other two battling for that fourth spot, unless Manchester United completely turn things around. But it is nice to have a title race this mm. season rather than a, a landslide. I mean, City weren't miles clear at this point of last season. It was kind of this point onwards, post-international breaks, that they then surged clear. And I think I look at the teams there, and particularly Arsenal Spurs haven't really beaten a very good team yet. You know, Spurs beat Man United, but they've been pretty dreadful. So right. I don't know. I think it's slightly false at the moment. I think City and Liverpool and Chelsea are quite a long way clear of Arsenal and Spurs. Okay. Possibly we saw Man United start to turn it around on Saturday. Mm. Let's have a talk about that after this. Lines up to hit it, and yes, it's deflected for a corner. That's over 12 corners. Yes, <clears throat> no time to take it though. It's finished nil nil. What a result! Sorry, our fault. You see, with same game multi bets from Paddy Power, you can combine multiple selections from one match into one bet, and you'll get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold same game multi bet lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre match fourfold same game multi bets on UK and top European leagues. Max free bet £10 per customer per day, minimum odds. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Manhunt news. Good old Mourinho. He began Saturday's clash with Newcastle, teetering on the brink with reports in one august publication that he was going to be gone by the end of the weekend no matter what happened. And then what did happen was that Newcastle went 2-0 up almost immediately, the first time, Daniel, that they'd been ahead in any competition since May. Mm-hmm, indeed. Wow. wow. But then Man United shuffled the bits around and produce an extraordinary comeback in the second half. Where does this leave us? Well, it means Mourinho 
one this weekend insofar as a he's still there b this idea of players downing tools which i always thought was a nonsense because it's a massive oversimplification was proved to be so um and they won the game i i don't think it means much in the long term because i think the next run of six games is is chelsea uh juventus everton bournemouth juventus manchester city and they would have to win you'd think three of those to to kind of save the season or to to actually improve his standing in any significant way. And I don't think they will, certainly not playing as they did against Newcastle. Well, yeah, Richard Brunning making the point. Before we get excited, can we remember United did this against Palace and City last season, both apparently inspired by players at halftime. So who's in charge? There's Um, a report in in one of the newspapers that um, Mourinho consulted Paul Pogba mm. on on tactics at half time, which, given the <laughs> given the issues between those two players, would would seem unlikely, but but perhaps it's true. And obviously, Pogba then went to this the centre back role at Manchester United, which has become the the kind of the lottery position where you roll a dice and pick a midfielder and put him at centre back. And I don't think that's the reason it worked. I think the reason it worked is that Manchester United players <laughs> got the bit between their teeth with one goal and then thought actually we really need this. So does this mean that he can motivate his players or or that he has absolutely no idea what his team is, even after all this time at Old Trafford? Two down a half-time to win a game is not when players need to be motivated. Players will motivate themselves for dire situations like that. Players need motivating over the course of the season and in the long term, and I think that is where Mourinho will lose out. OK. The big question, though, uh, Gareth Russell. Two games running, Valencia and Newcastle. Mourinho has done an unusual wave with his little finger to the camera. Any ideas... What's behind that? Sasha, there have been some quite lurid suggestions about what that little finger is meant to suggest. I don't think they're repeatable here. <laughs> but do you, do you have any ideas? Is that no. something you've seen before? O- only Dr. Evil would be the most polite Dr. one. Dr. Evil would be one one suggestion, yeah. It'd be a strange, a strange mm. cultural reference from the Austin Powers films of the early noughties in 2018 when you were about to lose your job. It would be a strange reference, wouldn't it? If right. It was. You'd rather see him go, you know, go the full shaven and do a full Dr. Evil. And yeah. then and do that with you know a Nehru collar, just to really, <laughs> just to really surprise people. What about poor old Newcastle, Michael? That must be absolutely heart wrenching for them. Still without a win. Yeah, especially after starting. Your heart so well. isn't wrenched, is it? I'd like to see Newcastle doing better, but to be honest, I thought, you know, I try not to follow Twitter whilst watching football <laughs> games, but I couldn't, I couldn't resist <laughs> when Manchester United were two 0 down at half time. And people were going so OTT, and I thought United had played quite well for the the final twenty twenty five minutes. Of the first half, Rashford in particular had a headed chance that was easier to miss than score. Um, and I thought Mourinho's changes actually worked really well. You know, putting on... Um, he should have started Matter. I mean, th- this is classic Mourinho. He's too defensive to start with, but he is very good at changing things in games. But to put on two midfielders who played attacking roles for two players who are playing in defence and putting Pogba into that deep-lying role, I thought worked really well, to be honest. And mm. by the end of the game, I didn't think Newcastle really deserved anything out of it because they'd been dominated for pretty much, well, 70 minutes, really. And they didn't. When you see a home manager bringing on attackers for defenders and you tune nil up, and the reason you tune nil up is because you've attacked a team's deficiencies, which lay in defence, and they've just taken two defensive players off, you have to keep going. You know, Newcastle United were more were just as likely to win that game 3-0 as as lose 3-2 at that point and the only way to save the game was was not to go into their shell and fall in on themselves but to keep attacking and they mm. they just stopped doing that but also i mean people are going on about the penalty decision but for me uh, quite a decisive moment was the muto header 
uh, that he put straight at De Gea. I think he, should, he buries that. I think I don't think mm-hmm. United come back. One thing I did quite like about um, the outcome of the match was the guys who saved Mourinho, if you like, Mate, Martial, and Sanchez, the three players who have apparently let him down or whatever. Have have they saved him though? Do you, well, for do, now, for now. But in the newspaper business, if you publish a report like that, is it pure speculation or is it come on the back of well, some my, proper information? My suspicion is that it was leaked by Mourinho's camp to try and. As soon as those reports came out, Gary Neville went on Sky Sports to say United fans will give him the best reception he's ever had at Old Trafford tomorrow. And actually, I, I kind of disagreed with it at the time, but he was right. They they did support, they did get behind him at kickoff. They at did get behind him. They weren't so happy. No, they were two 0 down. But but he got a better reaction than he would, I think, if those reports hadn't come out. My suspicion, Mourinho has always been very clever at um, laying things at the media's door, and I suspect that's exactly what he did again. I think Gary Neville would would like Ed Woodward's job. Seriously, if you look, at, if you listen to Neville's criticism, it's never about the Glazers, it's never about the players or the manager. It's always quite squarely at Ed Woodward and those in charge. I, I think when you look at his business interest and what he's been doing at Salford, and he said before he's not Do interested. Do they have noodle sponsors at Salford? I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, the way <laughs> they're going. Um, but Neville said as well he's not interested in going back into coaching, but he wants mm. to stay in football. And it all, to me, seems to point that he'd, he'd love a upstairs job at United that's very interesting uh, Ross Barkley getting a call up for the England team should John Joe Shelby be joining him <laughs> <laughs> Michael's no. John Joe Shelby's biggest fan no, why because <laughs> well, he had a good game here didn't he he, he was alright I thought he looked really tired in the in the last 20 minutes no I, I no I don't, okay. I don't want him in the England there you team. go Adam Widrington I asked <laughs> Michael answered you're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsors of Melchester Rovers Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com There's a very nice piece about the history of Roy Race and the Roy the Rovers comics, actually, in the latest edition of Esquire magazine, Michael, which you may or may not subscribe to, I'm not sure. Never read it, I'm afraid. Have you not? No. Has that you ever read Esquire? I'm afraid not. Sure you have, haven't you, Daniel? <laughs> Dressed like that. <laughs> anyway, We're now's the time to start because they've got a piece there about Roy the Rovers. And speaking of Esquire... Oh, here's why we're mentioning this. Producer Ben <laughs> is going to chair a panel about how to start a hit podcast. <laughs> Pause for jokes. Yeah. At Esquire's Townhouse Weekend. Blimey, it features Peter Crouch, not his event, but there will be events with Peter Crouch, Harry Enfield, Paul Dano, and loads of other hip and happening Esquire types. Crikey, that's happening this coming Saturday. If you're anywhere near wherever that Esquire townhouse is. Can I just say, I, I actually clicked on this because I saw uh, Luke from the Football Ramble oh, yeah. post a link to it. And I'm not joking, on Ben's thing, they describe him as self-proclaimed podcast master. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Can't even. No, that. <laughs> ben has just replied and, and said that he's had that edited because it made him sound like a, a twonk. It did make me laugh. Yeah. Anyway, now, ooh, rest of the Premier League. Six other games, Daniel. Mm-hmm. You were at one of them. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start with that? Yeah. A little um, bit of Leicester-Everton. Yeah. Everton. Hmm? Yeah. Marco Silva has actually come under some pressure at Everton so far this season. Um, I put that down to the fact that, uh, and I've written a piece today, he, he was appointed as a short, he has a reputation now as a short-termist because he's, since his job at Estoril, he's never stayed in a job for 60 matches. And, and that's normally because he's eyed 
the next step. And, and even at Watford, when he was sacked, it was because he had eyed the next step. And he's now been appointed for this long-term project. And it, although he, Everton thought he was the perfect fit, actually, he, he wasn't really the perfect fit. And he's going to have to change, and so are Everton. But yeah, they were they were absolutely brilliant as, a, as an attacking unit against Leicester. They... Um, the arrival of Bernard into the team means that Richarlison can now play as a central striker and Tosun can drop out and I don't think Tosun's good enough. Uh, and Richarlison has been playing absolutely brilliantly. You know, He drifts out wide, he lets Walcott come in and then in the middle of those four, Gilfie Sigurdsson does Gilfie Sigurdsson things and he's he's back in the form that got him the move and it just shows the difference between basically the difference between having an attacking manager and a defensive manager from last season, they just look brilliant going forward. They are occasionally haphazard at the back. Right. Um, and that w- has been Silver's undoing before and may well be again, but um, they're, they're brilliant to watch. What kind of noise did you make when Gilfie Sigurdsson did his little turn and then that looping shot? My Gilfie pleasure. Ah. It was, um, yeah, he has that in his locker. He is a scorer of spectacular goals. And, um his strike, he manages to make, he, he, without getting too technical about it, he's brilliant from set pieces. And when you watch his long-range strikes, he manages to have this sort of half-second pause before he strikes it, as if when he's created a bit of space for himself, he turns it into a free kick. So he just, he did that. A little move, really quick move, take half a second, and then just thronk it into the top corner. Mm. I did love the little move, though, the way he just left Madison going completely the other mm. way to create that space. How, um, obviously, you watched the game, how unfair was it uh, to have Richarlison against Wes Morgan? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I am as a as a self-proclaimed uh, Nottingham Forest nut. I am sad for Wes because this is the, you know, this is really the end of him. I think Claude Puel is was already the only man that had any faith in him after being sent off for two slow lumbering yellow card tackles two weeks ago, and he was sent off for two slow lumbering yellow card tackles again, and actually could have got sent off before for a similar challenge. They've got Johnny Evans on the bench, and they've got Kaglasionku who hasn't even made the bench yet in the Premier League. So they need to change that if Puel's going to keep any faith. So do you think in-game, uh, looking at what was happening early in the second half, Puel should have just pulled, uh, taken Morgan off Evans on? I don't know why, he, start- worked? I don't know why he starts Morgan. Mm. I mean, Morgan's decline started at almost the moment they won the title. That was his such his, his obvious career high, and his legs were going even then, I think. I remember four years ago, he got sent off against Liverpool for being slow, lumbering, etc. Yeah, et cetera. and... and, and... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Leicester are less pressing than they were under, you know, in that successful time. So Morgan is has got a lot more work to do than he than he did before. And yeah, I I, I love the man, but I don't think he should ever start a Premier League game again. There was a moment which I went kind of viral on social media where who sassed on I think goals on Sunday how he and Morgan were able to to kind of hold together that that extraordinary event, and he just said simply Conte. Yeah, and and Didi and Nampley's Mendy together. Um, kind of do most of what Angelo Kante did, but separately, and obviously they both started. Yeah, they're, they're still not as good as a two than he was as a one, to my no. mind. At uh, at the live show we did a couple of Mondays ago, mm. uh, one of the audience members asked us to name who we thought the worst first team regular was in the Premier League, and it's a kind of like it's a live show question rather than a recorded podcast question because we don't want to sound too mean. But after a second red card in three weeks, I feel confident that uh, my answer of Wes Morgan is still standing because oh, right, he just okay. looks so... I mean, he was he was complaining afterwards about how he wants um, the referee to have reviews because he didn't think the, the second booking was a booking. And it probably wasn't, but he, he was lucky. Yeah. I mean, it, that could have been his fourth booking of the game. I mean, the, the one on the touchline that left Richarlison on the tarmac, I thought was a dreadful tackle. Just... just 
hopelessly uh, mistimed. Sasha, who would be your worst starter in the Premier League? Fulham's defence. <laughs> just pick pick one of just them. Just all of them. Okay. Daniel? It's going to be a Huddersfield attacker. I'm not going to say name individuals because I'm a... I'm a nice guy. All right, then. Another thing we did at that live show in London was play Watford or Notford. It was very much Notford this weekend, Michael, when they got taken apart 4-0 at home by Bournemouth, who are the second-highest scorers in the Premier League. They're up to six. How excited are you about the Cherries? Or you think that it's just one of those early season things? I don't know. I never really know with Bournemouth. I can never quite explain it when they play well or when they play badly. I mean, they've lost 4-0 and won 4-0 within a short space of time. Mm. And in both games, I think, were, you know, the scoreline should have been much more even. But they did look very good here. It was an interesting game. Two sides playing quite similar systems. 4-4-2, the wide midfielders coming inside. I think Jefferson Lerma, the um, holding midfielder for Bournemouth, mm-hmm. gives them a bit of steel and a bit of solidity which they've kind of lacked in recent years and they've got you know as as Watford have uh you know previously in the season they've got a front two playing pretty well you know King and Wilson do look for each other they find each other they make good runs yeah can can either of you explain Bournemouth to Michael no I I, I actually completely agree I think they've just got a manager who manages to make players at the absolute peak of their potential you look at someone like Callum Wilson and I think he's very unfortunate not to have got into England an England squad that has four goalkeepers in I think he's very unfortunate not to be in it because he's he scored four he's assisted three and his hold up play at the moment is is absolutely outstanding he it's 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 as good as Harry Kane's has been this season. Uh, he's 26 and he's already had two career-threatening injuries. I think if he hadn't had those, he would already be a... I think he has the talent to do it. And I think it probably come a little bit late now because you, when you've come from the Championship like him, you sort of need to be 22, 23 to get that chance than 26. I think um, with Bournemouth, they're very good at exploiting the opposition weaknesses. And I think if you look at the way Watford has set up, it's very they need the 11 players. So as soon as Cabaselli was off, I think the way... Bournemouth completely went for him and I think it's like summed up in the third goal because there's Kapu and there's Cathcart and there's lots of space basically and the Watford defence is all at sea and they just went for the weak points um, I think Watford were a bit unfortunate because they started off reasonably well uh, Begovic made, did a couple of good things and they just got caught on the counter and then Cabaselli got turned uh, mm-hmm. for the second yellow and the first yellow was probably needless you don't really need to lead with an elbow on the keeper and in those situations keeper will always get the call I, I spoke to Simon Francis last season he's the Bournemouth captain, not starting every week now, and he he basically says, "How is a Guardiola?" You know, he tells us things every day about oh, us. Sorry, right? I, I had it as a, a question. <laughs> oh, how sorry. is a Guardiola? Uh, Eddie, how is is Pep Guardiola to them? He tells them right. things about the opposition that they haven't even thought of. He so, tell- if if, if um, Guardiola is Alexander the Great, <laughs> Eddie, how would be who? Admiral Lord Nelson, maybe. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Exploiting the weaknesses in an opposition army. Okay, nice. Fleet. Did you study military tactics, Michael? <laughs> no. Can just, you tell just, I didn't? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sasha? I'm just going to walk out. Uh, <laughs> all right, okay. Spurs. They beat Cardiff 1-0. A dire goal and a dire challenge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cardiff go back to the bottom. Can we have a moment, a little moment for Neil Warnock's quote um, about... I mean, he, he he did the whole Harry blamed Harry Kane for the sending off, which is obviously a nonsense. But he also said it's never a red card. Mm. He didn't even endanger his life, mm. <laughs> which is even by Neil Warnock standards is quite a high bar for. <laughs> for red you cards. know what? I, th- I think this season, it's, this whole Warnock thing seems to happen at the same time 
as uh, Javi Gracia at Watford is actually very reasonable, I think, about things that happen. Because, for example, they asked him about the Cavaliers, and he was like, well, we'll have other problems. And then his Warnock basically going absolutely nuts <laughs> about the sending off. And I think there was um, about two, three weeks ago, um, there was a United goal that was scored maybe from an nearly offside position. And I was just observing Javi Gracia. Uh, and he was he sort of very politely asked the linesman, can we review it, please? Are you sure that uh, that wasn't uh, offside? And then he politely asked, I think, the fourth official. And that was it. And I think that week, Warnock was going nuts about something while they were losing 4-0 at Chelsea. And it was just... <laughs> Olivia Soprano, of course. Olivia Soprano. That's who yeah. Neil Warnock looks like. That's a, I don't know what... Is it a she or a he? It's a she, it's a she but it is an incredible likeness. Is it? Look right. it on your phone, Sash. Right. Uh, while he's doing that, <laughs> let's just salute Huddersfield, who got their first goal from open play this season away at Burnley in a surprising 1-1 draw, which featured um, a reprehensible dive from De Poitre. <laughs> uh, but also, I, I, the, who was the player who stood on him in retaliation? Uh, Tarkovsky, wasn't it? I, th- I felt he got away with that a little bit. So ab- yeah. so ab- abhorred were the panel by by De, De Poitre's, uh dive yeah. that they gave, they gave him a kind of free pass on that kind of that yeah. retribution. Well, after, you know, being amused by Neil Warnock's comments, I found Sean Dyche really funny. He said, oh, I don't know what the game's coming to. You know, my kids are watching this. It's, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> it's only a dive, isn't it? I mean, it, I, I agree with his general point that it mm. shouldn't be tolerated, but I think that, you know, think of the children is a bit he, OTT. He's the only one speaking out against it. Is he <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently, yeah. Yeah, Brighton on Friday. Do you remember uh, they beat West Ham one nil? Another Friday night lights. Glenn Murray once again with the goal there, and the other game this weekend in the Premier League. Have you looked up, Olivia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does remarkable. That work for you? My phone died as soon as I got, got, got up. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sort of railing against the uh, <laughs> yeah. lookalike. So uh, the other game was uh, Crystal Palace losing at home. To Wolves, Wolves fielding the same starting lineup for the eighth match in a row, and Palace in real trouble at this point. No, they've only won once in the league since the opening day of the season. They failed to score more than once since that opening day. Only Newcastle, Burnley, and Huddersfield have had fewer shots on target since that opening day. And the teams that Palace have been up against during this run, Daniel, as you wrote and I've cut and pasted, were mm-hmm. Watford, Southampton, Newcastle, and Bournemouth before this clash with Wolves. It's not, it's not exactly no, top of the table I, stuff. I think there's a, a danger with Palace of them going. Well, it's not as bad as last season, but nothing could ever be as bad as last season. And and the difference is that they're losing now with Wilfred Zahar in the team, which is a pretty worrying development for for them. I, th- I think they'll probably be just about all right, but. Um, yeah, they were they were dreadful against Wolves, and you speak to supporters, you know, that go to the games, and they say that we're not playing much better in some of these games than we were during that dreadful run last season. So, yeah, they're they're slipping, that's for sure. Mm. It was good to see Matt Doherty scoring for Wolves, who I think has been one of the um, you know surprise performers of the Premier League season, if I can say that. I wasn't really aware of him, I must say, before this season. I, th- I think um, I'm right in saying that no. Defenders had more touches in the opposition box than Matt Doherty, so this was coming. I didn't know that, but certainly from from watching their games, almost every time Wolves seem to focus their play down the right, and he's right. been very prominent, good at playing give and goes with the forwards, and that's exactly what he did for this goal. I right. also think it's absolutely great how good defensively Wolves are. I mean, I think uh, Palace just had the one chance where there was the double save for Patricio. They don't give much away. They have excellent shape. Um, Cody, um, the former Liverpool player, as a captain. Um, seems to basically marshal that backline very, very well. And I think when Wolves were coming up, people were excited about how great they're going to be going forward. They haven't actually scored that many, but they're hardly conceding. Yeah. I think only 
top four have conceded less. Really? I think, mm. I think Lewis Dunk has been obviously been called up to the England squad to replace an injured player. Is it James Tarkovsky? Someone. The replies to the tweet are all from Wolves fans saying, well, what about Connor Cody? And I think there's a danger with Wolves because of their high-profile names. Players like Doherty and Cody... Um, their improvement goes under the radar because everyone assumes it's the everyone assumes it's the high profile players making this happen. Whereas actually, if we're a promoted club, if, if the players that already existed there don't improve, then teams get found out pretty quickly. Look at Fulham. Um, so yeah, I think they deserve huge credit. Okay, we're going to take a very quick pause and then we'll return with the most exciting league in Europe and the Championship and all sorts of other stuff as well. Listeners, even your good friends here at the Totally Football Show need to take a break from the football every now and then. And that's why we read The Economist. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get yourself a free copy of The Economist right now by texting the word football to 78070. The Economist is about far more than just economics and finance. Since 1843, it's been covering a range of subjects from politics and business to science, technology, arts and even sport. For example, there's an article in a recent issue all about the Turkish economy and why foreign funding and bad loans have caused the lira to slide. So not only did I learn that Turkey's currency is called the lira, but the piece has also equipped me with the information I need to tell my Arsenal friends who are fed up with Mesut Ozil why he can't possibly sign for Fenerbahce because they just don't have the spondulies. Yep, you're stuck with them, I'm afraid. Anyway, it's nuggets like that that helps economist readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them, a world in which facts count more than ever. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your free print copy now. Just text FOOTBALL to 78070. The Championship listener, where the big story is the change on the bench at Aston Villa. Thierry Henry, apparently, with John Terry in as coach. Is this is this a winning formula, Daniel? It, it, well, it strikes that they've interviewed two people that they quite like and therefore they've gone, oh, we'll just have both of them. Uh, Villa is such a weird club. They just, we always say about, Tottenham used to do it, they used to lurch with managerial appointment from um, one extreme to the other. So they'd go from Harry Redknapp to Juan de Ramos or the other way around. Um, to go from Steve Bruce, you know, archetypal pragmatist to... A duo of effectively a duo of managers with no first team experience at that level is is a massive massive gamble because their parachute payments will stop soon and then they will be in big trouble. They also wanted Brendan Rodgers, which would have been a, a, a fantastic coup. I think makes I, I'm, more sense. Yeah, I'm no huge Rodgers acolyte, but I think he would have been a, a, a much more intelligent appointment than Henri and Terry is a I don't know. I'm duo. picturing the Villa uh, dressing room half time with. You know, maybe the team are needing some wise words, and Thierry's saying to them, "Football, Football. quite a ride." Right. <laughs> Do you not think that's gonna? I think well, Omri's got a good footballing brain. I mean, he does sometimes make interesting points about the game. I think the issue with him, and this is particularly clear if you read uh, Filippo Clare's biography of Omri, is that he's basically not a people person. He, he doesn't really get on with people. I think he struggles to maintain close relationships with with many people, really. Luckily, they've got John Terry in there then. Oh, God. <laughs> but on the other hand, if there is no one to get on, well, to manage the squad of players as an as people, maybe this is where John Terry comes in to shout at them. I think John Terry could be a really good mm. manager, actually. Well, he's already had a bit of a go, no, in, that, in his last spell at Chelsea. <laughs> well, <laughs> you joke, but, uh, but yeah, I think he's... I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of football supporters don't like him, but his reputation within the game is good. Mm -hmm. His reputation when you speak to people who work at Chelsea uh, and deal with him week in, week out has been very good. 
I think he's underrated in terms of his footballing intelligence. I think he's underrated in terms of how good he was technically, actually. He was a very good player, John Terry. Mm. His passing quality with both feet is, I think, unrivaled in English centre-backs over the last few years. Maybe John Stones is different. Um, so, yeah, much as people dislike him, I think Terry has got potential as manager. OK, uh, meantime, Sheffield United have gone to the top of the Championship, sending Hull to the bottom with their 1-0 win against the Tigers. Who's this in fifth, Daniel? Nottingham Forest? Yeah, the Championship's a very odd league. I think there's three points separating fifth to 15th. Is there? Yeah, and we are fifth at the top of that not very mini league. But yeah, we won at Middlesbrough on Saturday, which is typically baffling. Okay, nice. We can get more of that kind of thing in the Toby Football League show on Tuesday. Late on Monday or Tuesday morning in the Toby Scottish Football show, there's all the latest on the most exciting league in Europe right now. Potentially, perhaps... The Bundesliga? No, the Scottish... <laughs> no, Sasha. The Scottish Premier League, where Hibs beat Hamilton 6-0. Doom. Exciting. Where uh, Rangers beat Hearts, the league leaders, 3-1. Doom. Exciting. And where Celtic climbed back up to third with a... What was that? 6-0? Six, six yeah. James, wow. James Forrest scored four times in the first... Half. Did that happen in the Bundesliga? Doesn't play in the Bundesliga. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but a uh, great thing did happen on Thursday night to Rangers. Um, so they're defending, I think it's a corner, 94th minute, 2-1 up against Rapid Vienna. And just a breakaway goal in the 94th minute and the whole place goes mad. I think Morello scored. Just great scenes. keeper up? No, keeper wasn't up. Oh. Keeper actually stayed quite deep and so he slided past him. But it was just those moments as a supporter when you're just clinging on but they actually get the goal that clinches it are brilliant that was uh, that was quite a, it's been a great campaign for them so far yeah. in the Europa League for Rangers uh, Celtic not doing quite so well they lost 3-1 same scoreline uh, away in Salzburg anyway Sa- or Salzburg um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say Santi Casola yes scored in Moscow in oh, a 90 yeah so Villarreal uh, went to play Spartak Moscow in Moscow Um Mad uh, final 10 minutes, uh, Sparta coming back from 2-1 down to go 3-2 up. Last um, play of the game, a corner comes in, Funis Mori, formerly of Everton, gets pulled down, up steps Santi Casola to slot away 96th minute penalty, his first goal in two years. Brilliant. An amazing start, I didn't realise. He's never actually scored in Europe for Arsenal. Is that right? In all those years. But it's great. I mean, I think, I think the Casola story is as brilliant, as painful and as tragic as you could imagine. I think the fact that he plays football now, apparently still through pain, is uh, is remarkable and uh, basically what a guy. Mm. Also last week in Moscow, of course, Real Madrid losing against CSKA and uh, Igor Akinfev keeping a clean sheet, or did he? Because he gets sent off in the night. I actually don't know. Maybe Michael knows this. So maybe it doesn't Does he count get the officially. Clean sheet, Michael, I don't know officially, but I don't think he should. Um, I, it, yeah, it shouldn't count in my head. I think the Russians are counting it. Apparently, it's the most clean sheets by a Russian goalkeeper in the Champions League now. Eight. He's actually kept eight. Has he kept eight? Eight. Well, he went like ten years with that. He's been around for 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 very very what long did, time. Does anybody know what he said? To, well, um, uh, apparently, uh, well, they they think, judging by the reaction, and that um, they think he told them to f off. Basically, straight into his face. But the thing is, their situation in the game. <laughs> I love that. I think it was going to be some sort of some really detailed. No, no, but, 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 but what? 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 The great reference. But but in that in that type of situation, he knows it's the last play of the game. So I think as a goalkeeper, you want to release all that energy and shout about some random stuff. I, I think the referee's reaction is purely like, "Why are you acting like this?" Yellow, and then your immediate reaction is probably either "What's that for?" or "F off." And I think he went with the second one. Um, and and it's, just, it's, it's a shame, but it's, it's great um, uh, rear guard action by, by, by CSKA. I think, obviously, 
Real are going through a very fallow period going mm. forward. I think in the end they were just pumping in crosses. Yes, they probably should have scored from one of those headers, but um, I, I think the job that Goncherenko, former batting manager, is doing at CSK Moscow is absolutely remarkable. He basically brought in this summer, overhauled uh, the squad with a bunch of guys who sat on benches all over Europe, mm-hmm. um, and including um, Vlasic from... Um, Everton, Everton, who couldn't get a game last season, so he passed an early mistake. Uh, and uh, I think, yeah, he's, he's doing a very, very good job on not a very big budget. Excellent. Uh, Real Madrid continuing there, as you say, fallow period this weekend. A 1-0 defeat at Alaves uh, means they've now gone four games without scoring in all competitions. Do you know how long it's been since they had a run of games without a goal like that? Capella? Michael? No idea. April 1985. 85, wow. 85. Anyway, uh, meanwhile, Barcelona only drew in their clash with uh, Valencia. Uh, They have only had one victory in their last five games, which came, of course, against Spurs in the Champions League in quite resounding fashion. But all of that means that Sevilla have moved past the two of them into top spot in the Liga. Yeah, it's two... Top of the league, top of La Liga with two points per game, which is the same as Bournemouth in the Premier League, ha! which is mad. Um, that is mad. What about Lopetegui? He goes to Russia with with Spain. That blows up. He has now, been dealt a, an absolutely dreadful hand, Champions League wise. Of the last, I think in their three wins under Zidane, Champions League wins under Zidane, they scored ninety seven goals, and Ronaldo scored I think fifty six of those. <laughs> and they they haven't signed anyone neither. I know they've got Vinicius, but. They basically haven't tried to replace Ronaldo, and then they've they're acting surprised that they're struggling to score goals. It's it's a nonsense. Mm. And Benzema and Bale now injured as well. Yeah. So and Isco as well. Great. Yeah. Which made his decision to bench Asensio a little mm. bit controversial at the weekend, but still, there it is in Portugal. Uh, Porto taking on Benfica. Ooh, Benfica a one 0 win which puts them top of the table, just ahead of oh no level with Braga I think. Surprisingly, <laughs> uh, got a Dammerung in Germany. Yeah. Mm. Bayern, are they first? No, nine. <laughs> uh, no, they're in th- <laughs> let's just, a number of points. <laughs> they're in fifth place. They lost 3 0 at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm. They, they were already 2 0 down after a quarter of an hour. Niko Kovac is in big trouble there. Absolutely. Yeah, and rightly so. There, there was always a sense that he was either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. And yeah, the second is happening. Why, why have we got so many big clubs who are having times like this? Uh, I think there are a number of coaches at those clubs who are not particularly good in the case of Kovac. I think there are changing of the guards in the case of Ronaldo and in, to an extent at Barcelona as well. And Bayern arguably as well because they too didn't really make any Yeah, and Vidal, you know, Vidal has left and I think there's a sense within the clubs below them with young managers with hungrier squads that mm. they can be got at. Mm. And also I think the, the, the way they considered the third goal is very worrying because I think they were defending zonally and instead of actually moving, the players just stood in the way they 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 set up. And uh, I think Hermann for Dortmund just put it away. It was there was absolutely no reaction. Um, shout out to Borussia Dortmund. Absolutely, four uh, three win. Uh, Paco Alcácer, what a signing! Uh, came on after after an hour and scored scored a hat trick, um, including a brilliant free kick. I was I only just watched the highlights, but their central defence. It's like when a ball lands, it's like a grenade goes off. The central defenders just scatter. Uh, they're absolutely terrible at the back. They're Dortmund. Good. Dortmund, yeah. I, I, I just couldn't believe the way they were defending. Uh, but going forward, Jaden Sancho only got one assist, but he should have probably got three. It's like really? that run to the byline, cut back. I think Royce and Alcacer both put over two really good chances. Mm. But uh, yeah, they're looking like a lot of fun. No doubt. Sasha, you noticed that uh, Reese Nelson also continued his fine start to the season. Second goal of the season. 
Right, for Hoffenheim as they beat Eintracht Frankfurt. Indeed. OK, now there are fewer shocks in France. Would I have one a little shout-out, uh, another shout-out for the German League? Um, please. Um, <laughs> Union Berlin uh, oh, yeah. trailing in the 94th minute at home to Heidenheim. Keeper goes up, keeper scores. Keeper uh, scores? Keeper scores a header from about two yards. They remain unbeaten with four wins and five draws after nine games and second in the Zweite Bundesliga. Brilliant. Sasha, as ever, our go-to guy for all our German second division information. When Raf is not available, obviously. Uh, of course. You're no doubt aware that there's been fewer shocks at the top in France where PSG took on Lyon and beat them comfortably 5-0 you were excited about Alcacer, but Kylian Mbappé scoring four times in the second half of this game. The, the big Ligue 1 story is Monaco. Monaco. Who are, I think, four points in the relegation zone now, um, which is what happens when you sell all of your players. Yeah, it's funny that. <laughs> uh, their eighth defeat in all competitions this weekend. But Alexander Golovin got an assist oh. in their 2-1 defeat to Rennes. Okay. It's always Russia with you, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I have to drop it in. <laughs> What about Italy, Sasha? What do you know about their weekend in Serie A? Another Juventus win? That's surprising. All right. Inter Milan, they both won ahead of their derby when the league returns in a fortnight. Roma and Lazio won. Basically, the big clubs mostly won, apart from Fiorentina, who got beaten 1-0 by Lazio. That fellow we were telling you about, Christoph Piontek, scored again for Genoa as they took on Parma. It was a Parma team without their two big goal-scoring threats, Bobby English and Jovinho. Roberto Inglesi but you know but Palmer still came back and won 3-1 in that game I think it was their first win away against Genoa it's either 94 or 84 but I mean they're, they're both so big it, it almost doesn't make any difference Days in terms of years? years years no I mean since 19 oh okay since a long since the last century effectively listener um You've, I mean, the, the big story here, though, obviously is not so much what happened on the field, but what's going on off it with the Cristiano Ronaldo story and uh, the papers in Italy now beginning to finally get to grips with this and, and, and explore his statement that's been leaked, which uh, I guess is behind the whole reappearance of this story, and the fact that the authorities in, in Los Angeles have, have reopened their investigation into the incident from nine years ago there. Uh, one of the things I think stunned everybody was the the reaction of... Juventus, who put out a extraordinarily badly worded uh, press release suggesting that he's you know, the real story is that he's a great professional and it was all a long time ago. I'm, I can only imagine that's not what they meant, but I'm just I'm amazed that a club with as much experience in dealing with scandals as Juventus doesn't know better how to put out a, a better uh, press release. The, the, the Portuguese Prime Minister released an equally dim statement where he said, the one thing we hope, the one thing we hope, is that nothing ever touches the, makes a stain on Ronaldo's reputation. Because right. he's, again, talking about his professionalism and his sporting greatness. And it's you just want to shake these people and go, yeah, this has nothing to do with sport, you know. This has nothing to do with any of that. This has, if we have one wish for this, it's that, there is a thorough investigation completed. Not that your favourite doesn't let anything touch his reputation. It's such a nonsense. Ronaldo, it has to be said, denies the allegations. But bizarre, this Sunday when Gazetta finally published a big page explaining a lot of the details of the alleged incident, the next page, literally the next page in the paper, is a full-page black-and-white shot of him, hands on hips, in his underwear, selling his, his briefs. Just an am- who booked that advert? I do not know, but yeah, Sasha, you've got your notebook out. Um, I was just um, you know going from 
you know, from that to something um, the nice right. to finish off. It seems that Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, likes chess, uh, as does Ben Woodburn, another Liverpool player currently on loan at Sheffield United. And this morning, he took on Magnus Carlsen, the oh, reigning yeah. world champion. Um, Carlsen won in 17 moves, uh, but there is a lovely photo um, from the uh, from the hotel um, where they're playing because behind... Um, Trent, you could see his coaching staff, which is a nine-year-old and a twelve-year-old little chess prodigies. We're oh, trying brilliant. to get them up to speed with a beautiful game. How did the game finish? Carlson won in seventeen moves. Okay, he all right. Himself, hasn't I, he, really? I, I wonder if we can get commentary on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're possibly talking about. Strange, five take Savchenko night. Yes, yes, yes. Checkmate, dramatical drama. And yes. All right, Sasha, I'm surprised you didn't want to bring up the game in uh, Russia's amateur fourth tier, where 11th hosted 15th in the Moscow region, and uh, one side scored a goal, the other one scored how many? 43. 43 goals. Doubling the tally for the season. Um, what well, kind of game was that? That's kind of every 30 seconds or so. I, I think the other team was a youth academy of professional side, yeah, and the losing side only fielded seven players by the looks of it. Oh, it was just a, What were they thinking? Well, I mean, you, we'll have to play. We'll have to play. Yeah, but you don't have to score 43 goals against them. Goal difference. Well, I know, but it just doesn't seem right, does it? I'm surprised you can concede 43 and score one. They, by the, by, yeah, by the end of the game, the guys were actually picking the ball out of the net to restart at the centre circle so they can go back and score more. But they, they had a breakaway. It was a long ball over the top, which was finished from the corner of the... Um, they celebrate. It's back on. <laughs> it's back on. It's like 21-1 no, no, now. <laughs> um, wow. Okay, because that's even more... Well, no, actually, is it... The, the, the story that everyone was going wild about over here was the um, FA Youth Cup game between... Halezo in town, who are from the seventh tier of English football, and they were taking on Nuneaton Borough. This is a Youth Cup second round qualifying tie. Uh, last Thursday, uh, Halezo were 4 1 down at half time. They were 7 2 down after an hour, and they were 8 6 down after 85 minutes. But how did it finish? 9 8 to, to them. them. Incredible. I still haven't seen a video of it. I'd love to. Right. The scoreline was higher than the attendance. There were only 83 people there. Incredible. Because it was, you know, 9, 8. Yeah. <laughs> but still. So, yeah, a lot of people would love to see what that looked like. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's been quite a taxing edition of the Totally Football Show. Uh, and it's not going to get any easier now as Ben picks up the phone and dials up his buddies at Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power. You're on the line because, you know, you always are. How are you, Lee? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I suppose that you you guys are probably celebrating um, a Liverpool nil, City nil result. Uh, yeah, sadly it was a bad weekend for the punter, uh, particularly the May United turnaround, but that result just really crowned it. A terrible result and a terrible game. And what does it do for the title odds for Liverpool and City? Well, for Liverpool, it makes them longer odds. Uh, for City, it does absolutely nothing. They're still odds-on favourites, so City are the 4-6 to favourites. Liverpool 5-2 to two now. Uh, ahead of Chelsea, seven to one; Tottenham, thirty-three to one; and Arsenal, dare I say it, forty to one. You did say it, Lee. You did say it. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about another of those games that uh, you did very well from Man United winning three-two 
against Newcastle against all the odds has that done anything for Moo's long-term prospects at Old Trafford maybe you wouldn't have thought so and he still wants on to go before Christmas by the way but actually the price for him to last the season is now nine to four uh Saturday morning it would have been something like nine to one so um maybe all right let's talk about relegation Lee Cardiff they're rubbish are they going to get the worst ever points total in the history of the Premier League Oh, I feel bad talking about this. I really like Cardiff, actually, because they remind me of myself playing football. Uh, they're 5-1 to one to get the worst ever points total in Premier League history, which is astonishingly short. I don't think they'll be that bad. All right, and let's go down to the championship then. A um, lot of talk in the papers over the weekend about Thierry Henry and JT John Terry forming a dream team at Aston Villa. Is that going to happen? Certainly my dream. Um, Thierry Henry is odds on now to get that manager's job and to be joined by John Terry's assistant is even money. So I think that price will go in and in and in. Get on that quick if you can. Well, you can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We return with another Toodley Football Show on Thursday where we'll be joined as we stare into the abyss of international football by James Horncastle, David Priest, oh, and Jonathan Allcroft out of the Times. Ooh. Oh. We'll be looking ahead to the Nations League, as I say, and also other things, yeah. Jonathan has a book out today. Does he? About What's his it? experiences in Russia. Ah. Darts with Ali. Right. Oh, that may be why he's coming on, actually. Oh. I'm just thinking that sounds... Uh, <laughs> making it an un- unexpected appearance book out. Yeah, that... That ties together. Super. I'm sure there's going to be loads of other things, but hey, just to make sure, listen, why don't you send us in a juicy topic because we might have time to address it on Thursday. Many thanks to Sasha, Daniel and Michael for being with us today and you especially, listener. Have a great time till Thursday. See you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.